Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I'm Gitto Thuelen and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Barocco. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Well, we've got a couple of games to look uh, back at. Uh, one game to come up uh, on the weekend against Plymouth to look ahead to. And we're also going to have a bit of Wales talk um, as they return to action for the first time since the Euros. But, boys, there is only one place to start, and that is with the Swans' first league win of the season, Friday night, under the lights at Ashton Gate. Steve, did you have a good night? Yeah, it was uh, it was very enjoyable, to say the least. I think uh, one of the, the best away games since we've been relegated, I would say, it was bouncing. Just looking round, it was full of men, let's be honest. There weren't many women or kids there. The atmosphere was amazing for the entire game. Um, and then the win was an added bonus, really, so... Yeah, a night that uh, will live long in the memory, I think. Matt, what is it? There, there are a couple of elements that just add to a great away day, isn't it? The fact that Bristol City is close is obviously, you know, it, it helps it. But there's, I, I, I remember people speaking the same way about the QPR match a couple of years back in when, when Cooper just joined us. We went up there and won 3-2 on a Tuesday or Wednesday night in August. Again, you know, under the lights in August, Big crowd there. It, it had all it needed was the result really to make that a really special night, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the idea of um, an evening game where you've pre-planned your travel um, means you've got potentially a day of drinking ahead of you, which, let's be honest, is a big bonus. Is a big factor. Um, you know, listen. We we <laughs> by the time we got to. Um, don't go the don't play Bristol Harbour. Swans fans were banned from like three or four of the pubs down there because of uh, groups of um, groups of kids kicking off or, or causing trouble of some sort. I think, but we went there to see what had actually happened at that point. But um, definitely, um, there was so much. Um, it was an atmosphere before I got on the train in Swansea. There was an atmosphere in town, and um, it really was like one of those things where. I was standing in the middle of the day in town thinking this is going to be electric tonight. And I could tell from 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 the top of High Street because you just everyone who walked past was just drinking and chanting. And this, like I say, was lunchtime. So it was. um, Yeah, it just went on. As Steve said, really, there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, men and um, a lot of drinking and a lot of maybe the younger generation as well. You know, the early 20s and stuff. Um, a lot of them were around and turned up, so um, everyone was there for uh, for an atmosphere. Everyone was there, you know, to to make make themselves heard and seen. And um, the whole night was just was was just wild. It was really really electric atmosphere. Um, it, you know, and, and and Bristol City, you know, especially in in the lead up to the game, you know, they played their part. They they lined the streets and shouted abuse, but they never offered never offered any actual threat. They were just kind of, you know, shouting abuse and getting it back and stuff. So I think it's a, like you say, there's a lot of factors that in play uh, that make it uh, a special atmosphere. But um, anything that involves uh, a trip, which you're not driving a vehicle for, and uh, a lot of drinking is uh, is 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 the start of a recipe, I think. Oh, it just there is something special about a good away day. There really is. Um, at the start of the match, Steve, it's fair to say I think Bristol City looked the more dangerous of the two teams. But 
uh, what was it, 17 minutes in, something like that. Joe Pirro uh, getting his first, well, his second goal of the week. And uh, it's one of the best one-twos that you'll see this season, I think. Yeah, you don't see many of them, do you? I mean, I was, I was thinking about this. It's very rare that we like have a shot and then we'll get like parried or hits the post and it sort the the rebound sort of falls nicely for us, uh, which was quite nice to see really. But Piro's had a nice little dribble. Obviously, it's a, the first one's a decent finish. Um, it's a bit unlucky it's not gone in. But then to be fair, you, you could tell he was alert. It was like a goal scorer's like instinct of right, it's not gone in. Where's the ball going to come in it? Obviously, it fell to him and he did the rest really and. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was certainly a wild goal celebration. I think there's been a few, uh, you know, videos of them uh, doing the rounds. But um, yeah, it was pretty mental in there when uh, when that went in. It was nice for us to finally have a meaningful goal, wasn't it? Because if you like a Blackburn, yeah, we got one back, but we two one down, and then obviously the goal against Stoke, where you know we're three 0 down, we're not coming back, obviously. But you know, obviously we've gone in front now for the first time this season in the league, so it was quite nice to. To have that moment, really, I think we've all waited uh, more than long enough for it. Yeah, and like Steve said, they, it was the first time that we've led in a league game under Russell Martin. How do you think we coped, Matt, with that new challenge? Because that that does pose different challenges to what we've had to deal with in every other game this season. Yeah, I think you know, I think by and large we did fine. We you know there were obviously a couple of. Um, a couple of moments, but um, we could have equally extended our lead as much as Bristol City could have got back into it, you know. Um, I thought we were, you know, we, we showed the same sort of uh, signs that we wanted to, you know, dominate the ball and, and, and really starve the opposition of possession, even if Russell Martin disagrees and uh, and labels it as the worst performance since he got here. But um, the players found a way, I thought... Um, Ethan Led was was fantastic, and um, you know, in, in in the middle of the park as well, I thought we did very well. Uh, generally speaking, um, I wasn't overly concerned. I know sometimes when you're watching uh, the Swans, particularly if you're watching them live, you're you're a bag of nerves. You you know, chewing off the end of your fingernails, aren't you? Blowing for the final whistle and stuff. But don't recall that really happening. You know. There was a lot of singing and a lot of bouncing around going on in the away end, but there wasn't a massive amount of nerves. So um, I just take it from that and my um, inebriation that that means that we did all right. So I think I think it was fine. <laughs> and who stood out for you, Steve? Because there were a couple of new faces that were getting, you know, the first real chance in the first team from the start. Was there anybody that really did, um, you know, catch the eye? I mean, uh, to be fair, I thought most of the players... Um... Did well. I, I wouldn't want to, you know, criticise anyone. I thought maybe Cullen was probably one of the weaker links. I mean, I don't think he was as influential as uh, as maybe some of the others. But I thought Grimes had um, had a good game. It was quite interesting seeing Manning play at the centre of a back three. But I understand that decision because it's probably better on the ball than um, a lot of the other players. So I thought that was an interesting um, choice, and he did well. Um, Ethan Laird did really well, especially in the second half. I thought he was quite lively. Seems to have a bit of peace about him as well, which, if we're honest, is something we've been crying out for. So I think he deserves um, a special mention. But in all fairness, I think most of them did at least pull their weight. It was a good performance. And obviously, we were, we've had to make changes again, haven't we, because of COVID. I mean, Ben Cabango and Flynn Downs are the latest that have had it. We were still without Cal Norton and, and Ryan Bennett, although they, they are now back. So to be fair, it's not been easy for us over the last couple of weeks. They have had to be chopping and changing, and some players 
maybe playing in positions that they're, they're not best suited to. So I think all things considered, we've got to be quite happy with what happened on Friday night, really. And Steve, I mean, did, did you see a big difference between what we what we saw um, on in Ashton Gate then and what we've seen generally, say, over the course of the first three games of the season against Blackburn, Sheffield United and, and Stoke? Was there sort of a clear change in that match or were we doing a lot of the same things, just we happened to win this game? I think that the big thing I would say really was the, the lack of mistakes. I mean, there were... At Blackburn, we we did make quite a few mistakes. We could have lost by more up there, if we're being honest. Um, Sheffield United was reasonable. Against Stoke, we did concede a couple of soft goals, at least especially the ones from set pieces. Um, so we, we did look harder to, to score against, really. I mean, we didn't give the ball away as cheaply in, in certain areas. So I, th- I think that's where we, we did improve. And as Matt said, really, I mean, they didn't really ask us a massive amount of questions. I mean, they did put us under a little bit of pressure, but... I mean, they had that the offside goal, didn't they? But um, I, I honestly don't think that we were in a great deal of, of danger. Although, obviously, when you're only one up, there's always a little bit of a concern that uh, you know the game can change quickly. But you know, I, I thought the main thing, like I said, lack of mistakes, which was a good thing because we we have made some in other games, and I think that's really what uh, what's cost us points. Mm, and. Matt, looking ahead, you know, we've got that all-important first win on the board now, those first three points, that monkey's off our back now. What can this do now for the team? Do you do you think the pieces are there for us to kick on now and, and build on that result? Well, we talked about this in the last podcast, didn't we, we when we were looking ahead to the Bristol game, and I remember saying then that um, it's important just to win the game, not for Russell Martin, or, or, or the players per se, but it, for everything around the club, for the mood around the club, just to just to be able to um, take away that pressure because the external pressure and the negativity that we saw in the stands um, in the Stoke game and and stuff like that, a ridiculous overreaction in the in 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 that game. Uh, this just takes that away, you know, for another two three weeks. So it gives the players enough time to. Um, to, to, to bed back in and, and to, to work more on the ideas and stuff without the external pressure adding to it. Um, so that was what I was looking for in the Bristol City game, was just to register the win, just to take all the externals away, and then they can focus on what they're doing. So whether Russell Martin says it's the best performance or the worst performance, I think secretly and into himself, he'll be delighted he's just got the win. Um, because it does, it does just take that pressure off. Yes, we've had a couple of cup wins already, but this is the bread and butter, and this is the one that um, you know Swansea aren't the story now. You know we've we've got a win on the board. Um, it's an impressive away win as well, and we can kick on from there. And more importantly, the pressure externally isn't looking on us to see if we're all cave in and we'll be without a manager in October. You know, so that that's the important thing. Um, and it's down to the players and the manager now to to use that as uh, as ammunition going forward. Yeah, and you could see, couldn't you, the, the response from Russell Martin, how much it meant to him. It, it, it was important that he got that win. And it just makes things look much better now on the table uh, and gives him that little bit of breathing space again, like you said. Just takes any any pressure that was maybe starting to come there from certain quarters. It, it just left that. He's got four points on the board from his first four games. I think we would have probably taken that before the season started. Swan sitting 16th in the in the table. 
quite a few teams below them who, like you said, are going to be drawing the attention of of the media and you know different opposition fans, etc. It it just put, makes things much much easier going forward now that that first win is under our belt, and it's an away win as well, which obviously you know means so much more. I think you know it's it's just getting that first away win can be difficult for some teams, so to get that on the board at the same time, brilliant job. Um, the Swans follow that up, Steve, with another win over a West Country side. This time, League One Plymouth in the uh, was it Carabao Cup? No, Jesus Christ. Um, you were there at the uh, Swansea.com stadium on Tuesday night. What were your overall impressions of the performance from the Swans? I mean, there was there were good moments in patches. I mean, we we kept the ball well. Um, I think the result was probably a little bit of a surprise in the end because you know we were reasonably comfortable and then we we've, we've conceded and we did look a little uh, not so good after that. I, I thought to be honest, it was going to go to a penalty shootout, but. You know, one moment of quality really from Morgan Whitaker changed the game, and then obviously we've we've ended up winning fairly comfortably. So you know, there were a few players that I thought did quite well. I mean, Carl Joseph playing in a wing back role, which was a, a little bit of a surprise, um, but I thought he looked uh, quite good. That was an encouraging performance from him. Uh, you know, Daniel Williams obviously got the goal. I think he did fade slightly in the second half, but I mean, he's still really young. At the end of the day, I thought. He showed uh, showed his quality. I, I think there's a player in there. Just going to have to be patient with it, really. Um, I'm honest. I didn't think the front two did great, but then Whitaker has popped up with a hat trick in the end. So that maybe that one goal sort of changed it for him, and he, he did look like a more confident player then. And Lolo wasn't brilliant either. He did go on a great run to set up the third goal, and the layoff was spot on. So yeah, I think rather for for those guys, maybe it wasn't like the dominant performances, but they. They had moments or key moments in the game that then obviously affected it. So, yeah, I think it is it is good to see us obviously chip in with goals. And then, I mean, earlier I said, didn't I, I didn't think Cullen was brilliant at Bristol City. And then you look at Whitaker has got a hat-trick. May well have played himself into contention now for the game on Saturday. So, and that's what you want really from these games. You want players who are, you know, not playing regularly to go into the team and do well and give the manager a little bit of a selection headache. And you look at it now, I think Whitaker may have done that. Yeah, and the important thing, of course, is that Swans won. They're through to the next round of the Carabao Cup. We are recording this before the draw, so we can't really comment on on who we're going to get yet. Um, but yeah, they avoided um, a potential upset against a lower league team, and uh, yeah, got got the job done. And a couple of uh, fringe players got a few minutes. But Matt, the important thing, the the vital thing that we're going to be discussing from from Tuesday night's match is the fact that Swansea have finally got a hat-trick. After more than a decade of waiting, we finally scored... Well, one, one Swansea player has scored three goals in a single game. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I you know I can't take anything away from Steve because he was at the stadium and I wasn't, but I've never heard in the football before the term popped up with a hat trick. It sounds so nonchalant. It sounds like he, you know, he's just he's just turned up and got the end of a cross three times. But they were great finishes, didn't they? Um, I've um, looked at them, looked at them back and on the highlights and seen that um, all his finishes. And I can't comment on the all round performance and and Steve's words gospel there with regards to his, um, you know, how, how they didn't perhaps click all game, but. Um, Whitaker knows where the back of the net is. You know, he he knows how to strike a ball. And uh, like Russell Martin said, post match, it'll do him the world of good. He probably wouldn't have even been aware 
before, until he'd scored the hat-trick, probably coming off the pitch about the fact that we hadn't scored one in so long. Um, so uh, it's great. You know, it's it's nice to get that uh, get that um, monkey off our back then, if you like. But um, still, the last league hat-trick is still standing there. Uh, that's waiting to be broken. So maybe we can uh, go one better on the weekend and do that one as well. But uh, no, all jokes aside, it's, um, it's great to see that... Uh, we finally scored one because it's um, we didn't get one in the Premier League and we were there for a long time. So uh, yeah, going back ten years, it's uh, it's quite some time since that last uh, since Scott Sinclair took us up, really. Yeah, the playoff final against Reading back in two thousand eleven, the last time a Swansea player scored a hat trick. That it's mad. Um, just to put in context, I've looked back through the records because I'm that sad. Um, we were by far and away the 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 team in the football league with the longest run without a um uh, a hat trick scorer. The the only one that came well the closest one to us then was Huddersfield, who haven't scored uh, a, a a hat trick in a competitive match since two thousand and fourteen. But that's still you know three years difference um, between ourselves and them. So they can take that kind of unwanted accolade now. Um, Obviously, like you said, Matt, we're still waiting for a league hat-trick, which goes back to 2008, which is by far and away the longest drought in the um, in, in the in the entire 92. But, Steve, why is it that we haven't been able to do this, do you think? Because other clubs do it on a regular basis. Most clubs, um, I think about two-thirds of, of the top four division, have scored a hat-trick in at least one hat-trick then in the last two or three seasons. Um, we've had, since Scott Sinclair scored, 56 instances where a Swan has scored two goals in a single game, but none of them managed to get that extra goal. What what on earth was the issue all these years? It's hard to say, isn't it? I think it's just one of those freak things. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see, wouldn't it, how many players who were on two goals got subbed off? Because that's happened a few times, isn't it? I, mean, I, I, can te- I can tell you now, it was 22 of them. Well, that, that doesn't help, does it? I mean, you look at Nathan Dyer in the League Cup final, for example, probably the best chance a man's ever going to have to get one, and he wasn't given the pen, was he? And obviously, I know De Guzman chipped in with two goals in that, but one of them was in the last minute, for example, wasn't it? So, you know, obviously the chances of a hat-trick at that point then are pretty slim. Um, it is a strange one, because we've had, you know, players who are quite prolific goal scorers, haven't we? I mean, Michu obviously springs to mind. He scored a few braces, didn't he? Wilfred Boney the first time round. I think Lorente may have had a couple. I'm sure Sigurdsson has, for example, had a few braces. Um, McBurney, obviously. Um, so I th- it's just got to be one of those those freak things, really, isn't it? I I always remember that we it has happened previously. I mean, the first Swans hat-trick I ever saw was James Thomas against Hull. There's no better timing for one. But that was the first, if you look back to the records, I think that was the first one for eight years. and something like the first home hat-trick for about 10 years. So... We do seem to have had these spells, really, without um, goal scorers. But I think in, yeah. in in that era, though, I think we Trundle was the first man for 20 years to score 20 goals. So when yeah. you think of that little fact, it's probably not a big shock then that we didn't maybe score many hat-tricks. But, I mean, we have had decent strikers in recent years. So it, it, it is a, a surprise, isn't it, that it's taken so long? I mean, what can you say? I mean, you're, it's interesting there. You're saying Huddersfield are the, the next longest... Um, doesn't surprise me because nearly everyone gets a hat-trick at some point, don't they? I mean, yeah. one of the great stats I heard was, I think, during the lockdown, that I think Anthony Martial may have scored one for Man United, and that was the first hat-trick post-Fergie, which, when you consider it's Man United, is absolutely staggering, isn't it? So, 
I suppose it, it does happen from time to time. You get these weird things, but yeah, it would be nice to see a league one, wouldn't it? I mean, we're talking over 13 years, really. It's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? If I'm going, if I'm going in like proper going in on this and just trying to work out what's gone on, obviously that long spell in the Premier League where you're um, you're not going to be free scoring, particularly on a weekly basis, and you're there's going to be a lot of occasions if your player's got two um, and you, you've managed to grab the lead, you're going to try and protect it. Um, and I think when you're in the Premier League, that's vital because teams can hurt you so easily. Um, and the years outside that, I mean, you could only really look at Ollie McBurney until now, couldn't you? And um, well, Brewster. Yeah, I suppose Brewster. Bruce only scored one brace for us in the brief time that he was here. And by the way, going back to your Dyer point, no player has been subbed after scoring two goals more times than Dyer. Um, so he scored two goals on five occasions, and on four of them, he wasn't allowed to finish the game. The most famous yeah, the, being, of course, the League Cup final. Yeah, I was going to say, one of the ones where you think we probably had the best chance of a hat-trick was QPR on the opening day, wasn't it? Because yeah. Michu would score two after about 55 minutes or something. So obviously he had a while, and then Dyer ended up getting two. And if we're being honest, QPR must went to pieces. So there were definitely more goals in it for us. Um, but yeah, I suppose that was an occasion where there were two players on that trip where it just didn't happen, did it? You'd have to and dig right down and see how important those goals were, whether they were whether they gave us two goal cushions in games or whether the game was already done. Um, it may have been a different story if those that brace came to make a score line to all, for example, or something like that, where it was you know, game on, but um, I haven't done the research on this, so I'm just I'm just hypothesising as to as to what the circumstances around them are. Gitto, I don't know how how deep you've gone to um to see where we where where the results were lying at the time. Yeah, I, I can't I can't go that far really. But <laughs> just on on that point that you made, Steve, though about um J, uh, James Thomas has been the um, first for um, a while. It actually wasn't. There was, there was one hat trick. In two thousand, oh, I meant the first one at home. That was. Oh right, yeah. Are you going to say Savarese at Luton? Savarese against Luton when we lost five three um, away at their place. But before that, I mean, you are going back. Well, I couldn't find the last example. I think before. I'm sure I remember reading before. It was Jason Bowen in 1993, something like that. That's mad. I well, I went back. I think as far as 94, and then I couldn't. You know, the 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 records are poor from from that point on. Yeah, there's um. um there's a book my father's got, and I remember reading it before. Basically, there was uh, but yeah, we're talking about that. The mad thing then is though, like we're on about James Thomas scored that hat trick. The opening day of the next season, Brad Maylett scores a hat trick against. And Perry. then, and then and, the next and league. then Lee Trundle scores a hat trick in the next one. You just think that is there can't be another team that's had three hat tricks in three games in a row, and it's been three different um players. Oh, that's it. That's just good. Watch out, Preston, then, are you? Pardon? Now, now's the chance for Cullen to to get off the mark properly with three goals. You know, it's um now is the time to really build on that success. But that that is true. I mean, three consecutive league games, three consecutive hat tricks, three different scorers. I I would love to know if there's another club out there who's done that because that's that is some record. Yeah, especially after you haven't done it for so long. That's typical Swans. That is, we always do things that are. You know, bizarre both ways. But like I remember around about that stage, 
okay, we didn't have hat-tricks happening all the time, but we did go through a couple of years where we had a lot of hat-tricks. I mean, you had Trundle scored another one against uh, Notts County, and the, that was the last one at the Vetch. But then the following season, you had um, Kevin McLeod in the 7-1 against Bristol City. You had Trundle scoring another one against Chesterfield. Leon Knight scored one in, in within half an hour on his debut, and he scored another one against Chesterfield away. So we went through a stage, Matt, where actually we did have hat-tricks quite regularly and I, I'll i be honest, looking back I probably took that for granted, just thinking, yeah. oh yes, normal, you know you, a club will have three or four hat-tricks in a season. Yeah, we look at those players you mentioned, you're absolutely right but though we had a ridiculously strong attack for, for League One, you know, essentially um, when you consider the likes of uh, when you consider the likes of you've got the, you know, your Trundles, your Leon Knights and your stuff like that, and and, and your Brad Maylets, you have um, Kevin McLeod's, they're all, we were so attack-minded, we were the sort of team which you'd love to watch as a neutral because you know Swans are going to win 4-2 or lose 3-0, um, it was just goals galore, uh, there wasn't a mass amount of defence, there's definitely a red card in there as well somewhere, but um, it was just entertaining, wasn't it? it? We did take it for granted, um, we were looking at trying to keep the climbing up as we were at the time, climbing through the leagues, but um, that spell, that that moment in, in history, that Kenny Jack era of attack in football, that's going to be go down as one of the more fun times of being a Swans fan in the last 25 years, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and just coming back to Morgan Whitaker there, Steve, um, there has been a little bit of speculation online, I'm not sure how serious it is really, um, saying that he could be loaned out. Uh, now that he has scored a hat-trick, would, would you think that we should actually be consider, considering loaning him out? I mean, we've we've got quite a few attacking options I guess but none of them I think we've discussed this before particularly kind of eye-catching particularly sensational um but now the players scored a hat-trick albeit you know in the dying stages of of a league cup match do you think it's worth keeping him in the hope that that confidence boost can can pay dividends I mean at this stage I'd keep him because we need to bring another body in I think if we're going to loan somebody out um you know, I, I think it's sort of a tough one in some ways. I think a loan spell maybe in League One would probably benefit him long term, but then we've got to think about, you know, do we need him now or do we, or would that suit us better as well? That That's the, the dilemma really for the manager, I think. Well, there was speculation, wasn't there, that he'd like to loan him out, so that could happen. Um, it depends. I, I think if someone comes in, if, a, if another striker comes in, then I, I think it, that may well happen. Um, but I mean, I'm looking at it. I think he should be in contention for Saturday, if, if nothing else, really, and see how he gets on then. But, you know, the difficulty then is, I suppose, if he does do well, then he probably isn't going to get loaned out because, you know, the window would be about to shut and it would be a strange one to loan someone out who's on form like that. Yeah. Uh, Matt, where do you stand on, on that issue? Would would you Do you think he'd benefit more from a, a loan move to, say, a club in League One, or do you think he has something to contribute in the first half of this season? Um. I keep him. I think personal opinion. Um, I'd get rid of Jamal Lowe if there's not if there is a potential buyer. Um, he'd be the one I'd look to ship out because purely because I don't think he will fit this system. I really don't see him as a um, as, as 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 a Russell Martin type player. Um, he hasn't really found his 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 place on a football pitch for us either. Um, some say he's a winger, but I also don't see him. You know up and down the wing, whipping crosses in every game either. I Probably an inside forward, but 
You get into that Andre Ayew territory then of is he a striker, is he a winger? Um, and there would be good money for Jamal though. Um, if a permanent offer came in, I, I, I heard, you know, we're looking in, in, you know, a few million. So if that's the case, then, you know, the club could do with that. Um, and then you look at the other options. I think, you know, I think Liam Cullen desperately needs a season of, of you know, football, whether that be League Two or League One or wherever he can get every week football. Um, Joel Piro is, for me, has is, is, is obviously made a statement. You know, he's scored what, three goals in, in, in three or four games for us. So, you know, he's he's really laid down a marker for um, for his uh, starting position. But then you need to have options if things aren't going right off the bench. And, you know, a player who can come on, uh, who, can, who can score a hat-trick in league game, League Cup game, then, you know, it's a nice option to have. Kyle Joseph, I didn't see last night's game, but Steve said he plays... He played wing back, which is which is interesting. Again, um, how Russell Martin sees him, because of course he didn't uh, he didn't bring in um, Kyle Joseph. He was here before he arrived, so it would be interesting to see where he fits in the bigger picture as well. Um, but um, no, I'd, I'd keep hold of Whitaker. Um, it also, of course, depends on what business we do between now and the end of the window, because there's still talk of us looking to reinforce our attacking options. Um, uh, with at least one, preferably two signings, um, and if that happens, that'll change the picture entirely. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I, I find it strange if we sent Whitaker out on loan. I, I'm not going to say that he's, you know, the the greatest player ever. I think he's clearly got a lot to learn and a lot of room to develop. But you know, he, he gives us something a little bit different. I think he's he's shown even in the early stages of this season at times that they can make a difference off the bench. I thought he was. Um, I thought he made a bit of a difference when he came on against Blackburn, for example. He's got that little bit of pace, which is something we lack in the team. He's shown that he can nick a goal. Um, I, I'd say, I, you know, I, I'd say we probably don't want to be starting with him, but off the bench, I think he does give us a little bit of an option. And if I'm being honest, if we're not going to be playing Cullen as a, a central striker, which I think is realistically the position where he's got the greatest potential to to make it in, in this side um, I'd be more open like you said boys, to, to sending him, him out on loan because I don't think there's much point really in keeping him here if he's going to be playing out of position and you know not really in, having much of an impact on games he may benefit a bit more from from that break and um, that that move down down to a, a lower division for for the time being, but we'll have to wait and see. There's still a little bit of time left of the transfer window, and um, plenty can happen as we know from experience. Uh, let's move on to a less savoury aspect of uh, Tuesday night's match. It's reared its ugly head again. There was online racist abuse following uh, the match. A tweet from the Swans. Um, drew a, a ridiculous response from one um, Twitter account, apparently, according to the bio, a Plymouth Argyle fan. But judging by the post, it, it seemed like that was the, the account's first post. So it may have just been some random uh, looking to, to abuse a player for no apparent reason. But it's not the first time, boys, that we've had to deal with this. And it's, it, it's just always so frustrating when this issue comes up again. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know what to say, really, isn't it? I mean, well, I just don't know what's wrong with people. There's just no need for it, is it, at all? And, um, you know, I think the social media companies don't really clamp down on it today as much as they should. And, you know, this individual needs uh, needs to be taught a lesson, really, doesn't he? Because it's just not on. 
Oh, yeah, I think we had this, didn't we? Didn't we have exactly this conversation? Was it after the Cardiff game? Wasn't Whitaker the recipient of it then as well? Um, I, f- I feel like um, this was something we, we we definitely talked about. We've seen we've seen it before with Cabango. We've seen it before with Low. We've seen it before mm. with Dander. Whitaker's had it before. I mean, it's it's just depressing that you know. Yeah, so I, I seem to remember last time his, his girlfriend got a, a, a lot of abuse as well um, on social media, and they came off they came off Twitter for a while, didn't they? It's a ridiculous situation. Um, We've done this where we talked before about um, you know we're not no power to to make anything happen, but in terms of um, it starts and stops with the enforcement. I think we've all agreed on that before. Um, if your punishment for creating an account, uh, a, a dummy account, just to go on and racially abuse someone is to have that account deleted, then you're pretty much encouraging that behaviour because that's not a deterrent at all. That is literally go and create another one next week and do it again because. Until um, there's some stringent checks on account creation and making sure that everyone's uh, identifiable, then um, then this story will keep rearing its ugly head. Uh, yeah, for me, it's it's a societal problem, but it's not helped at all by the uh, the people running the social media companies that need to give give the police some ammunition. To go and um, to go and seriously punish these people, and until that happens, unfortunately, we'll t- be talking about it again and again. But Steve, what what's the mentality of somebody that will that just their instinct is to go online and and to just abuse a player for the color of his skin? You know that, that nothing more. There was no kind of slight on 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 Whitaker's footballing ability. It was strictly a racist um, gesture. Um, you, you know, directed at, at a player who it just happens to have a, a different skin color to 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 the person who is posting this. I mean, what goes through somebody's head, whatever their age, whether they are a kid, whether they are an adult, it's it's something I I just can't get my head around. And neither can I. I think that's the problem. I think a lot of people can't, but you know, it just seems to be society, really, doesn't it? These days, I mean. Look at what happened in the Euros, where obviously certain players missed uh, the penalties for England, and you know it got mentioned again. Didn't it? It's just you almost feel like there's people out there waiting for something to happen and an opportunity to, you know, openly be racist to anyone from uh, anyone who's black. So what what can we say? Really, it's 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 difficult to find the words, isn't it? But there's got to be proper punishments for people because it just feels like it keeps happening and. Um, you know, people are getting away with it, really, aren't they? But, I mean, you just can't relate to these people. I mean, they're just, uh, they're not right, are they? Yeah. Um, Joe, it, f- it felt for so long like football was making continuous strides forward in this department. And, you know, although it certainly hadn't gone away, it, racism was was playing a less and less of a role in the game. And certainly over the last few years i think we've seen the direction change in that in that respect and it's it's gone decidedly in another direction and unless you know something changes like we've all said in the way these things are dealt with then then it is going to continue unfortunately and and i just feel sorry for these players who continuously have to put up with it because you shouldn't just be turning on your phone and the first thing you see is you know, somebody abusing you for the colour of your skin, you shouldn't have to put up with abuse per se anyway. But, but you know, when it's racially motivated, it, it does just hit home that little bit harder. And um, 
it's disgusting, but un- until you know something gets done about it, it's it's not going to go away, unfortunately. Um, so a sad note to uh, end uh, that Plymouth chat. We'll move on now to discuss Preston away on the weekend. Um, so we've we've just won one away league game at Br- Bristol City. Matt, can we make it two in a row? Oh, we can't. No. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh... Uh, Preston will want to have something to say about that, but um, you know they um, they're the sort of team, and I, I say this sometimes, and I, I think I, I I I'm a parody of myself sometimes, but these are the sort of teams that you can beat away from home. Uh, they're not a particularly threatening outfit, and I'm going to eat humble pie on next week's podcast probably, um, but certainly um, it's a perfect time for us. Then put it this way. It's a perfect time for us to come in off the back of uh, two wins, if you count the midweek game we just talked about as well, and um, you know, buzzing with confidence and, and renewed faith and belief in, in what we're trying to do and what Russell Martin is trying to integrate, and um, against uh, a team who we could get the better of on the weekend. Yeah, and Steve, Preston have had a, a strange start to the season. I'll be honest, they, I was tipping them for relegation at the start of the season. Um, I thought new manager, squad didn't look particularly brilliant. And, and they started the season um, backing me up, really. They lost 4-1 on the opening day to Hull. Uh, lost 2-1 away at Reading, who are, are not the best team in the division. And then they lost away to Huddersfield, who, again, are not the best team in this division by any means. So you think you look at those opening results and you think, my God, this team is in trouble. But then they beat Preston um, last Saturday, who have... Uh, sorry, not Preston, they beat Peterborough. Yeah. I was going to say, um, they, they beat themselves, didn't they? Beat themselves, which is what they were probably doing in the first three games. But um, yeah, beat Peterborough. And from what I saw, quite convincingly and deservingly of, of, that, res- of that result. And then... They've gone and beaten Morecambe four two in um, in the cup. Bobby, I think they they needed to go to extra time to achieve that. But just looking at what Preston fans are saying, suddenly those two wins have kind of lifted the mood and they've given them this burst of positivity. And suddenly um, those improved performances and those two wins, they're gonna they're gonna have a bit of confidence. And this actually may not be the best time to be playing them. Well, possibly not, but I mean, as you say, I don't think they're a team that um, you know are, are going to be um, in the the upper reaches of the division. Um, so, yeah, as, as much as obviously they now have gone off and running, you always worry with the Swans if they're on a bad run that we would end it. So, you know, I, I think we'll see. I, I don't think they're a great side, as I've said. I mean, they, they don't really have many um, standout players or anything. The, the manager, I think, is it his first job? I know he's he's coached in quite a few places, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, he took, yeah, he took over as caretaker after Alec um, Alex Neil was um, left the club last season, and he he did a decent job of stabilising them. Of course, they beat us one nil uh, in that awful run we were on um, of four straight defeats um, last season. So you know he does know how to beat us, um, and of course, you know Steve, they've got a former Swansea player in Scott Sinclair, which um, which is always dangerous. He scored against us in the past as well. Yeah, that's right. I was looking at their their team just now, and that was a name that uh, that sort of jumped off the page. Really, I mean, it's getting on a bit now, isn't he, Scott Sinclair? But um, you know, I'm sure he'll still pop up with a goal uh, every so often, and uh, typically he'll probably be against us for it. But I mean, just Chad Evans is there. I mean, obviously he's been a fleet with us the last couple of years. Um, it's a bit of a surprise really that he's gone up a division. But um, I think yeah, the strike. Probably... 
the striking well, position has been their problem for years, hasn't it? I mean, they've got Emil Rees, who scored um, against Morecambe, who's a big striker and, you know, looks like he can cause a few problems. But I'm not sure, again, if, if he's the answer to, to the goal problems they've they've had from their strikers. They just never seem to find that that one striker who's going to get them um, the goals needed to make a difference. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably a problem for a lot of sides, isn't it? Obviously, we we really had a problem with strikers last year, didn't we? I know we seemed to we sort of got away with it a little bit, but that probably was the, the missing link for us. I mean, it's, you know, it's the usual stuff in football, really, isn't it? Everybody needs uh, needs a striker um, that can bang the goals in, and that has been an issue for Preston. I mean, they've they've been back in this division about six or seven years, I think, because obviously they, they went down. Um, I think they went down the year that we went up to the Prem, but not really threatened massively to, to go up, because I remember certainly during the early 2000s, that's when they were a good side um, and they did, um, I think they lost a couple of playoff finals around that time, but they've, you know, they're, they're probably levelled out really now at this level and, um, you know, but they'll, I think they'll be looking more over their shoulders at the bottom than than towards the top. So I think it's definitely a game that we can win. I think, you know, we're going to be quite an unpredictable side this year in general because um, I don't think anyone really expected us to go to Ashton Gate and get a clean sheet after what was a bit of a shambolic defensive display against Stoke. So, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a hard one to call, I think, but I think it could go either way. And Matt, obviously, the team's been chopped and changed uh, in the first few weeks of the season, and injuries and COVID, etc., haven't helped in that respect. But what 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 do you think? Who are the players that you'd like to see start the game against Preston? Do you think actually we should pretty much stick with what we what we had against Bristol City? Yeah, by and large, um, I think there is a, a, a genuine question mark over um, over current suitability at the moment, and that's you know that its form and its being without a great deal of experience under his belt. There's a lot of questions which perhaps time will help answer for him. Um, but yeah, the, the team is um, the team is quite strong. Um, in, in in a lot of areas, I I really like. We talked, someone touched upon it a little bit earlier on about Ryan Manning playing in the back three as well, because uh, what we noticed at Blackburn in particular was um, the defence. We want to bring it out from defence, but we didn't have much in the terms of ball playing defenders. Uh, the one in the back three that day, would you thought would have been great, that it was Latibodier, and he almost scored an unbelievable on goal after a minute. So um, yeah, I think all in all. Uh, that day was a was a probably an eye, a little bit of an eye opener for Russell Martin as well in terms of uh, what he's got to work with at the back and and really trying to uh, it's where everything he wants to start he's already admitted in press conferences he wants to build from the back before he concentrates up the pitch and um, and he's been tweaking it a little bit you know Brandon Cooper's come in he's done um, he's done reasonably well for for a young player as well and Ryan Manning slotted back there so you can see he's trying things out. And it's important, I think, for his style that we get that ball playing defence because everything he wants to do starts at the back. And it's great to see when it comes off. It just needs a bit of a tweaking. Um, so, yeah, the things look much more solid, as Steve mentioned earlier on, against Bristol City. So I don't see massive amount of changes. Um, and, of course, it's all gone a little bit quiet on the transfer front, which um, we may discuss in a little bit. But... Um, yeah, absolutely. In terms of uh, in terms of the starting eleven, I'd make maybe one or two changes. Um, you know, we look at a couple of the players as well have been out with COVID. I know 
Cal Norton maybe back in contention and stuff. So, you know, he's another player who is a very good ball-playing defender. So he might be an option that Russell Martin looks to use um, and, and go from there, really. It's not a case of uh, wholesale changes. And it similarly won't be a case of stick with the same 11 because I do think there was room for improvement against Bristol City. Um, we'll just take, we'll just see maybe two two changes from that game, perhaps. Yeah, and Steve, uh, how important is it that we go into the international break on the back of a decent result against Preston? Um, it wouldn't be the end of the world if uh, it ended in defeat, but I think it would be frustrating now that we've gone off and running uh, if we didn't manage to uh, to build on that and um, and come away with at least a point, really. So, you know, I think that's what we'll we'll be looking for, isn't it? I mean, and our our record, if we're honest, after international breaks is quite bad in general. So. You know, it would be nice to to come away with something and um, you know keep uh, hopefully go on a little bit of a run. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, let's get predictions out the way. I think I've got every single prediction wrong um, this season uh, <laughs> so far. So um, I don't know if anybody's keeping tabs, but if if you are, then I'm definitely bottom of the leaderboard. Um, I'll go first this time. I I I'm. I'll go for a one-all draw. I think Preston have um, just had a little bit more confidence um, of late going away. We're still, you know, in that developmental phase, even even after that that win against Bristol City. I I'll I take a one-all draw and I'd uh, I'll go for a one-all. Matt, what about you? Um, I think uh, Preston may get thirty-eight uh, percent of the ball. <laughs> in this game, I think we're going to really try and uh, step up our, our philosophy again. And I think um, whilst it's not going to be a walk in the park, I think we'll be able to get over the line. I'll say a uh, 1-0 away win. Steve, what about you? I'm going to say the same as you, uh, a one all draw, um, which I think would be a decent enough result consecutive clean sheets in the league that would be a heck of a result as well well hopefully you're right um and i'm wrong and uh, hopefully the swans can head into the international break on the back of a really positive result we're just gonna have a quick chat now about that international break um steve wales back in action for the first time since the euros um they've got a friendly coming up against finland which quite frankly we're not going to discuss because it's it's pointless we're going to be playing in the reserves nobody really cares what happens in that game but then we've got two qualifiers coming up against Belarus and Estonia. I think it's fair to say that these are the two weakest teams in the group. Um, what would be an acceptable return from these games? Well, I know you uh, you love the phrase must win, but just say it. it's got to be six points, isn't it? Like we can't be looking at anything else. I mean, they're, both sides, are, they're not going to qualify. They're no real threat in the group. We need a clean sweep against them. Um, we can't say that anything other than that would be acceptable, really. So we need to go to Russia, where we're playing Belarus, and win. And then we need to beat Estonia at home. Um, if we don't do that, it's not good enough, uh, really. It's uh, it's fairly straightforward, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I, I don't think anything less than six points is really acceptable from these games. These are clearly the two weakest teams in the division, in the group. Belarus have a very young squad. Um, only eight of them are into double figures when it comes to caps. Um, none of them have sc- scored more than four goals for their country. Um, you know, and and they've 
they've they've not got a great record on the whole. They they beat Estonia um four two uh, in their last home game, um but then went on to lose eight nil against Belgium and and similarly you know Estonia one competitive win since the two thousand and eighteen World Cup campaign, um you know they they they've just they they've not got any players either of these teams playing for big. European clubs or in even even in big European leagues, you know that most of their players play in their domestic leagues, which which aren't very strong. Um, Estonia lost six two to the Czech Republic in their first game before losing four two to Belarus. They're going to be at the low ebb. Matt, we got to win these, haven't we? Well, yeah, completely like echoing what Steve said and 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 just adding to it that realistically, Belgium and Czech Republic are going to have no problem with them. They've had no problem with them, so. If we have a problem with them, that really points points picture of of how this qualifying campaign is going to go for us. So it needs it doesn't have to be convincing. Of course, you know at the end of the day, it's just the points on the board. It would be nice if they were, um, but uh, yeah, you know it, it it looks it looks bad for Wales if they don't register six points in these games. And we've been uh, watching Wales, you know. If you go back to like the Bobby Gould time and, and, and stuff like that, we, we've had some shocking results. Um, let's hope that you don't see a repeat of that in the next couple of weeks. Steve, you, you mentioned that we are going to be playing out in Russia because of um, the political situation with Belarus. We're not allowed to to play in Belarus, and Russia is one of the few countries where, which will allow this game to go go ahead. You know, in a um with, with without too much hassle um it's not just russia it's kazan which is 2100 miles away from wales to put that into context there are parts of canada which are closer to wales than kazan i mean in in what is a, a very busy international period anyway how much is that traveling going to going to hamper us it's not great is it um you know you can't look at it in any other way uh, it's a long way you know, obviously we've got that friendly with Finland, which probably doesn't help either. So we may well go from Finland directly to Kazan. I mean, it's not brilliant. It's, we, I don't think we can use it as an excuse. I, I will say that much, though. I mean, we've got to get the job done, and we. I mean, I'd like to think that we, it won't affect us enough to to cause a problem. But I mean, we'd be lying if we said it was ideal as well, wouldn't we? Um, you know, Belarus is a fair enough trek, but going to Kazan is probably adding another couple of hours to the flight. So. It's not what we would want, but we've got to get on with it. I think Belgium are playing them there as well. So, yeah, it's it's not just us, but it is irritating, isn't it? I mean, we, uh, we, we wouldn't want to be going there in an ideal world. But, again, it does feel a bit like at the moment we're, we're getting a little bit stitched up with these things. And, um, yeah, we've uh, we've got to get on with it and make sure that we, we still do the job, even though the circumstances are not ideal. And Matt, in terms of the group itself, um, Belgium and the Czech Republic, like you said, they lead the way. Um, Belgium have seven points. Czech Republic have have four. We're one behind the Czechs with with three points. Although we've we've played a game less than them. Um, this is the first game that we've played since the Euros. Uh, do you think what what impact do you think the Euros will have um, on Wales's chances? Um, obviously, we're playing against two. We're competing against two countries who who went, um, I think, further than us in the competition. Yes, I think both of them did. I'm going to say. Um, so you know, will it do us a bit of confidence the way the Euros went, or do you think um, actually it, it'll be difficult to get going again after that tournament? The Euros were weird, weren't they? Um, 
we talked about this just after, didn't we? We we said on analysis, you know, we we only won one game, so it was kind of hard to really understand where that kind of momentum of uh, Euro 2016 came from again, and that feeling of that, uh, you know, together stronger because we we hadn't really done a, a great deal, <laughs> truth be told. Um, that said, um, that tournament's over now. This isn't uh, this isn't a branch off from that tournament. We need to be looking at this as a as a clean slate, a new opportunity to um, to qualify for a you know a World Cup at the end of the day, um, you know, and and create history um, for the country. And so hopefully, you know, like I say, you say we got a game in hand over Czech Republic with a point behind, so it gives us an opportunity to once these fixtures have you know died down to have leapfrogged them. And put ourselves in a position of uh, of strength, and um, you know when you come up against the tough teams, you can, you know, you, you, you win some and you lose some, whatever. But it's the teams that you've got to pick up points against, and that's what that's what these these two pick fixtures are that are coming up. And um, the less they, I, I believe, the less they, they they dwell on the Euros, the better, because um, it's it's. I don't think there's a massive amount to take from it, if I'm honest. And um, Steve, just one little um, interesting bit from the squad. No Swansea City players in it. Um, that is down to injury and, and illness, of course. But you'd, you'd have thought that both Cabango and um, Robert would have been in that squad um, if, if they were fit and healthy to do it. But um, I think it must be the first time in well over a decade that, that the Swans haven't had any kind of representation. You're probably going back to, well, our days in League One to find the last time that we didn't have a single player in the in the Wales senior squad. Yeah, it would be a long time, wouldn't it? But like you say, we it's, it's circumstances in there. I mean, if Connor was fit, he'd be in there. And if Cabango didn't have COVID, uh, same thing really, isn't it? So it's one of those things. Um, it is a little bit disappointing, isn't it? It's always nice to see us have a couple of players in there. But, um, you know, I'm sure one of them at least will be back in the next squad. So hopefully they'll go on another long run then of having players in squads as well. And Matt, um, like Clockworth, the um, the squad was announced, and Juventus released a statement saying that Aaron Ramsey oh. had um, been injured. I mean, it's um, it is frustrating, isn't it? Because we did have performances in the Euros, well, the the one performance against Turkey, which was sensational. Mm. You know, you looked at him and Bale linking up, and you you saw the real potential there. And there's no doubt that we we are capable of playing so much better when he is in the squad, but. This is something that just happens all the time, isn't it? The squad, yeah. and he's he's not able to join us, or at least not able to play a full part. Gets away with a lot, Aaron Ramsey. He's a likable guy, um, and I get that. And um, but you know, as much as I have a great disdain for Ryan Giggs as a as a person and as a manager, as you know, um, his he got a lot of stick, and um, and rightly so. But Ramsey seems to be. Uh, immune from a lot of it, which is uh, which is a bit baffling to be honest with you, because uh, he just doesn't seem to turn up for anything other than the you know the the, the major games, which uh, does strike a bit of a chord as uh, in terms of talking about Ryan Giggs. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's a shame because look at our two most talented players in Wales of the last ten years or so, him and. Uh, him and Gareth Bale and their attitudes or their availability, at least for Wales, couldn't be more stark. You know, in terms of contrast, uh, one would play with half his leg hanging off, and the other just needs to have had a cold in the last six months to be unavailable. So it's a real shame. 
Uh, he is one of the Wales' strongest players, as as we know, and he, he provides that link between midfield and up front, which is vital for Gareth Bale to get in the game a lot of the time. So, um, but you know, that's that's the way his, his career is going, and um, there'll be when he when he retires, there will always be that thing where he'll go. He was um, immense when he played, but certainly towards the latter years, um, you know, maybe he didn't make himself as available as he should. Yeah, and uh, final question, Steve. Robert Page, um, he obviously took over in difficult circumstances during the Euros. He's been allowed to retain that position. Is that the right decision, in in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think we should make a change at this stage. I think, you know, the I think the Denmark game, as we said previously, was quite a frustrating one. I thought we were we were poor on the day. You can't look at it any other way, really. But um, at the same time, I think Page has got a lot of results. I think some of the performances haven't probably been the best, but but hard to beat and it would be very difficult to argue on making a change. And I mean, it's going to be tough to to make a change at this stage anyway, really, because of the whole situation with Ryan Giggs. So I think we should certainly stick with him for now. And then at the end of that court case, uh, see how that goes and, and make a decision really about the long term after that. Yeah, well, hopefully, of course, Wales can get those six points, which they probably need against uh, the two minnows in the group, despite the, uh, the travelling to... Um, well, the deepest, darkest Russia uh, in what is yet again a ridiculously packed international break. Um, but yeah, like I said, hopefully they can get the results and then we can get back to uh, club action then after the international break with the visit of Hull City to the Liberty Stadium. So hopefully you can join us next time when we'll be discussing everything that's gone on Preston with Wales and looking ahead to the visit of the Tigers. But until then, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.